0: and welcome to The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. Clarion are one of the leading law firms in Leeds with a team of experienced and dedicated lawyers who are passionate about helping their clients achieve their goals. For Clarion, it's all about relationships. They know that strong partnerships create energy and deliver better results for you. In this podcast, we'll get to know some of Clarion's lawyers, reveal some of the law surrounding pop culture, and find out how Clarion's holistic approach develops effective and practical long-term client solutions by fully understanding both the business and the prevailing market. I'm Ian Brannan, and in this episode, the Building Safety Act 2022 is new legislation introduced by the government to improve the safety and quality of residential buildings in the UK. But how does it affect you? The Building Safety Act is intended to have a
1: knock-on effect to the whole of the construction industry so that the fire safety aspect of all these new
0: houses will be heightened. Environmental, Social and Governance, ESG, is an important measure of a company's impact on the planet, its relationships with people and the effectiveness of its internal governance structures more and more companies are looking beyond profit to the triple bottom line and we'll discuss how this could work for your business.
2: There's research out there that demonstrates that companies with a robust ESG strategy do financially better in the long term.
0: But first, let's find out about a fantastic partnership that Clarion have undertaken really underlining their own commitment to corporate and social responsibility in the Leeds area. Our first guest today, joining us in the Purple Chair, is Emma Lowe, Legal Director at Clarion. Hello, Emma. Hello. Welcome to the Purple Chair. First off... Your job is a legal director. You work in a law practice, the most legal of professions there is. (laughs) Uh, What is your role?
3: So I'm a legal director in our business restructuring and insolvency team. And I'm a litigator. And that basically means that I deal with all the large scale litigation that comes out of insolvencies. So tens of millions, often hundreds of millions of pounds worth of claims. uh, And I deal with that. So my job really is, I suppose, in some respects, a big project manager, project managing these big pieces of litigation that can go on for many many years and then there's a lot of business development as well so there's a lot of going out meeting clients making sure that um, Clarion's out there and people know who we are and what we do and then there's all the extracurricular stuff that I well extracurricular is what I call it so the um, we have a lot of being groups being one being well being social and I am involved in the being one group as well so that takes up a lot of my time as well
0: People think of solicitors, let's say Clarion, <laughs> um, very much dealing with court cases and yep. and, and and the nitty gritty. But yep. we're talking here about giving back to the community and yep. and being part of uh, of life in in Yorkshire as well through corporate and social responsibility, and and that's something that you're involved in at Clarion.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So being one, it's an initiative that we have at the firm. To try and ensure that we are the most diverse, inclusive firm that we can be, it's really important that we are that way so that people have that psychological safety when they come to work and they can bring their true authentic selves with them. I think we're doing really well at it. One of the things that I personally am involved in is is the partnerships we have with outside organisations and one of which is, is a school that we work with called Dixon's Trinity. Clarion is is a values driven business and it's really important that we live and breathe those values. One of the ways we do that is through the partnership with the school.
0: Tell us more about that partnership with Dixon's Trinity. Chapel Town School, and also how long has this activity been underway now?
3: Yeah, so we're in our third academic year now, and it's brilliant. It's absolutely amazing. I love doing it. I'm super, super proud of everything we're doing with the school. Basically, we're a a national firm with international reach, but we've got Yorkshire Roots, and it was very important to us that we if we were going to help a school, which we desperately wanted to do, we wanted to make sure it was a Yorkshire school. And the school in particular, Dixon's Trinity uh, in Chapel Town is recognised for being, you know, there's a lot of children there that are considered to be deprived. And they've got a high pupil premium because the number of children that have free school meals. Um, We went to visit the school. It is the most incredible place. It's so different to the school I went to. It's so different to the school my children go to. It's a very values driven school which aligned really well with clarion values so we talk about standing together uh, never being ordinary and, and they're the kind of things that they're instilling in the children as well every day it was just a natural fit for us to go and work with them really
0: And when you're working with them, what's the uh, relationship? How do the students get involved and, and what sort of things are you doing with them?
3: Yeah, so we do absolutely all sorts, actually. We do lots of interviewing. That's one of the key things we do. So we interview an entire school year. We have 14 people go along to the school and we have 10 minutes with each student. We give feedback to them. They give feedback to us as well, which is quite interesting sometimes. And we do that with year 11s and then with year 10 pens what we do is we do a boot camp as well so we go into the classroom the week before we actually have the interviews and we talk to them about what a good interview looks like how you present yourself how you you know what you would wear all the things that you know, we take for granted now, having been for so many interviews, that they don't know. We have a high flyers event where we bring in students that the teachers have identified as having lots of potential and potentially some of them have shown a a bit of an interest in the law. We bring them in over two weeks. We have the first week where we have, they come in, they have an office tour, the board sit down and talk to them. We have everybody within the organisation because I think People think of a law firm and think of lawyers, but they forget without everybody else around us, we wouldn't be able to do the law. So we have people from marketing come and talk to them, IT accounts, all the different facets of the business come and talk to them. And then we do some exercises with them. And then the following week, we actually do the graduate recruitment exercise with them. Not had to dumb it down. These kids are absolutely amazing. We do a careers fair now as well. So we go in, we take local businesses, either clients or contacts that we've got. I think one of the things that makes this programme different is that it's not just about getting students into law. This is about us going into that school and instilling in those students that they can do anything, whatever they want to do, they try hard, they're going to be able to do it. And there's, there's people out there that believe in them. So for example, at the careers fair, we had consultant doctors there, we had architects there, we had engineers there, we asked them to bring along, you know, trainees, apprentices and things like that, that the students could see themselves in the people that were there the school have what they call stretch finals and they spend a lot of time with the students encouraging them to do public speaking and they have competitions where we go in and we help judge the students on their public speaking we then invite them into the organization we have a wednesday morning meeting and we invite them in to come and talk in front of the entire firm and they are amazing incredible students and and the, the way they speak in public is is phenomenal. Better than most <laughs> most adults, really.
0: It's great real world experience, Absolutely. isn't it? You know, that yeah. you can you can take with them and maybe use, you know, very soon after yeah, getting yeah. that. Um, what is in it for Clarion? How does Clarion benefit from this?
3: I think it's important to say that I think it's not, a tick box exercise for Clarion. and I think there's a lot of organisations out there now that see, you know, CSR. We've got to do it. It's not that it is is so much more. It's because it's genuinely the right thing to do. There's so much to be gained from doing it for the students and for the firm. There's three hundred and odd people at the firm, and I think two thirds of them have volunteered already. And every single person that has volunteered has absolutely loved it and has got so much out of it the feedback has been phenomenal and I think you know we spend a lot of time at work so to be able to do something with purpose and really feel that I think really helps everybody within the organization feel like they're a part of something and feel like they're giving back which I think in some organizations you don't get that so it helps with you know, it's it's very much part of Clarion's culture and I think it helps with the culture in, in that way.
0: What's the longer term vision for this partnership? And do you foresee some of the students that you're working with now rocking up at Clarion in a few years?
3: Yeah, absolutely. If if there are some students that you know that we find that want to do the law, as I say, it's not just about the law, but if if there are some that want to do that, then then absolutely. I spoke earlier about the High Flyers event and we choose two people to win the presentations those two students get to come and do some work experience with us. So actually, they're getting more experience of the law. And, you know, if they want to come back and do apprenticeships with us or, you know, are interested later on in doing a training contract, then absolutely, we're all about that. It would be absolutely amazing.
0: Are there any specific success stories from this partnership that you can tell us about?
3: Yeah, absolutely. There's been quite a lot, actually. I think when we set out to do this, one of the things I said when we started it was that if we can just help one child, it would be worth it. Because if we can get even still in one child that they've got the ability to do whatever they they want to do, then that's incredible. The real life impact has, has been quite profound. And so we were doing year nine interviewing and one of the teachers, the careers lead, came up to me. And said that she couldn't believe what she'd just seen. And I was like, well, hopefully it was, you know, nothing awful. That You know, everything's going well. And she said, no, no, there was a girl that's just been interviewed. I've known her since she started school and I've never, ever seen her smile. And she's just walked away from that interview beaming, absolutely beaming, which I was like, oh, my God, that's just incredible. And another story from the same interviewing sessions was that basically what happens is we give the feedback they don't get it for at least a week. And I was told by the careers lead some weeks later that the students were basically banging down the door to get their feedback. They wanted to know what we'd said about them. And one particular boy was really adamant about it. And this boy was renowned within the school for being, let's say, naughty, a little bit naughty, and was not potentially not somebody they thought this would have such a a profound impact on. And he was desperate for the feedback, got the feedback, loved it. And his mum came into school the next week to say that he'd put the feedback on his bedroom wall and was looking at it constantly and how he changed into a different child. And the school also noticed a marked improvement in his behaviour as well.
0: Would you encourage other businesses and organisations then to look at this kind of corporate and social responsibility we just heard there the life-changing effects it can have i I, I assume that will be yes yeah (laughs) no
3: absolutely you know there's so many benefits and it's a win-win for everybody it's the students win because they're having people come in show that people are interested in them but also it had a real impact in the office as well of the difference that people could make so social mobility is such a huge issue in this country and, you know, we're one of the worst in the developed world in terms of social mobility and the changes that can be made. Studies have shown that the more diverse an organisation or a management team in particular, the, the more innovative a business can be, which in its, I think I read somewhere that there was something like nineteen percent increase in turnover because of the the increase in innovation. So you know, show me any business that wouldn't want a nineteen percent increase in turnover if you know just by making some very simple changes and by helping your employees make a difference. There is an untapped talent pool waiting for these businesses. And it's just about unlocking that and, and making sure we help those students uh, reach their full potential.
0: Fascinating stuff. And it'd be fascinating as well to see how some of these students go in, in, yeah. in time, you know, a I decade can't. from now or more.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I can't wait.
0: Fantastic stuff. Well, look, thank you, Emma, and uh, an amazing experience you've given those students. And uh, keep it up. Thanks for joining us.
3: Thank you very much.
0: This is The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. The Building Safety Act 2022 is new legislation introduced by the government to improve the safety and quality of residential buildings in the UK. To discuss the ramifications of this act, our next guest joining us in The Purple Chair is Phil Morrison, a Clarion partner specialising in both contentious and non-contentious issues in the construction industry. Hi, Phil. Good morning. Joining Phil are Brandon Pizarro and Jenna Metcalf, who are both in the construction team too. Phil, to begin with you then, um, the Building Safety Act 2022, clearly fairly recent legislation. What's the purpose behind it? The construction industry has very
1: recently been uh, criticised quite heavily and quite rightly for its lack of focus on safety and, in particular, fire safety. So, following various inquiries and recent reports, The purpose of it is to really focus the whole of the the construction industry, the construction supply chain, both design and construction into making sure that everything that is going to be constructed, everything that is going to be used in the construction process and everything around that is going to concentrate on safety and in particular fire safety. So on that, it's the most important legislation that's been introduced in the construction industry in, in
0: the last 30 years. And in that regard, clearly the the Grenfell fire, for example, must have been a significant driving force for this legislation. The construction
1: industry has always criticised that in construction, there's a race to the bottom, i.e. how can we do it as quickly and cheaply as possible? And I think the Grenfell tragedy really showed that we'd arrived there. There's a book called Show Me the Bodies by Peter Apps, which um, sets out how we arrived at Grenfell. It's a very illuminating but very disturbing read, and that showed that very little care and concern was taken in relation to the overall starting at the holistic fire safety. And then each and every level you get to in the construction industry to, had very little regard with um, with regard to fire safety. So Grenfell, the, when we lost those lives and the subsequent inquiry and Judith Hackett's report have all resulted in the Building Safety Act coming into being.
0: Brandon, to you then now, what are the specifics
4: of the Act? Let's get into the detail. The main focus of the Building Safety Act is on higher risk buildings. So those are buildings which are at least 18 metres tall, seven storeys high and contain two residential units. Now, the central purpose of the Act itself is to ensure that these buildings are maintained and constructed correctly. So there are six parts to the Building Safety Act and the two main parts deal with the construction of these buildings and the maintenance of these buildings so during the construction of these buildings there's now a new approval regime which has been termed the gateway regime so the developer will have to pass through three different points so one during planning one before and works can commence and one at completion of the works before the building can be occupied it's also cemented this idea of the golden thread of information. So it provides for how information in relation to the building will be created, stored and maintained. But um, it's not only relevant to higher risk buildings. The mechanisms which the Building Safety Act sets out are quite far reaching and novel in some cases. An example being building liability orders which have been created to prevent this practice where SPVs are special purpose vehicles and joint ventures are set up by developers and then wound up once the site's been developed and the assets then distributed elsewhere across the business, just to avoid any claims in relation to sort of latent defects or defects that arise after the completion of the project. So building liability orders what they do is they allow a court essentially to reach beyond the SPV to an associated company and pass relevant and specific liabilities onto these associated companies. But they've also laid the groundwork for a new construction products regime and introduced a new cause of action against manufacturers who manufacture defective construction products. All parties are going to have to just be conscious of their obligations under the Building Safety Act, particularly in relation to the new approvals regime. And this will need to be factored into construction programs, but also developers will need to ensure that they're carrying out their due diligence. There are requirements under the Act which require that all parties involved in the construction of these buildings are competent in accordance with the regulations. And given the context where people are um, conscious and aware of the negative impact of fire safety defects and uh, what materials need to be used in the construction of these buildings, those involved even in the construction of smaller dwellings will need to be wary of the products that are being used in the construction of these buildings and how they are being constructed.
0: And and what does it mean for existing residential properties? Is there a situation where
4: elements uh, of older properties might need to be updated? The first thing in relation to existing high-rise buildings is that these will need to have been registered by the 1st of October of this year. But in terms of updating, since the Grenfell Inquiry It's become clear that a lot of existing higher-risk buildings have historical fire safety defects and are now no longer in line with current guidance or regulations. Government data show that 8,000 out of the 12,500 higher-risk buildings that there are will need an assessment of the exterior system to see whether their cladding is suitable. So the main question here as well is who has to pay the cost of remedying these buildings where there is defective cladding? The Building Safety Act does set out a variety of mechanisms where it tries to avoid a scenario, whether it's the residents that are having to pay these costs. Um, so they set out remediation contribution orders where a specific type of leaseholder is able to make an application to the court for the landlord to pay these costs or to remedy the defective building. Existing high-risk building owners will also need to be aware that unless one of the very limited exceptions applies to them under the Building Safety Act, that when they carry out works in relation to these buildings, that these will need to follow the same approval process as the new high-risk buildings. That'll mean you'll have to submit the same sort of plans. The works will need to be approved before construction can commence and that the works will need to be approved by the building safety regulator at completion in order for them to be occupied. The building safety act
1: is intended to have a knock-on effect to the whole of the construction industry so that the fire safety aspect of all these new houses will be heightened as it were and as Brandon has already alluded to if you do have defects in a house whether it's a high rise or a you know an ordinary three or four bedroom house the defective premises act is Something that if there are defects in it, that you can use that to pursue the party who's responsible for these defects. And the Building Safety Act has increased the time period with which you could do that from six years to 15 years, or if your defect existed before the Building Safety Act came in, to 30 years so it's the first time ever a retrospective right has been introduced in order to pursue contractors, designers, house builders for defects in that regard.
0: That's you know a massive change dimension as well. We've been referring to residential properties there, but
4: does this also cover other properties too? Yes, it does. And it's probably the main misconception of the Building Safety Act that it will only apply to high risk residential blocks. A high-risk building is a building that is 18 metres tall, at least seven stories, and contains two residential units. Now, two residential units under the Act itself is defined rather broadly, so it's a dwelling or another unit of living accommodation. So what this means is another unit of living accommodation will open up the categories that fall within this definition to include buildings such as student accommodations. Definitely mixed use buildings, which contain, again, it might be a commercial building, but has two residential units. Application of the approval regime has been extended also to care homes and to hospitals. So the Building Safety Act applies during the construction phase, but not during the occupation phase to hospitals and to care homes. Jenna, to you, obviously some
0: quite key changes here then. Who's the regulator responsible for monitoring this and how's the new legislation going to be enforced? Because that's quite a task in itself.
5: So the Act has introduced a new building safety regulator and the building safety regulator will be responsible for monitoring developers of high-risk buildings. And this means that those involved in high-risk building projects will no longer be able to choose whether they want to use Either local authority building control or a privately improved inspector is their building control body and the building safety regulator will automatically become their building control body. As a result of the Building Safety Act, the building safety regulator has also been given the authority to prosecute individuals of corporate bodies if they fail to comply with any of the regulations. Quite interestingly, as well, the building safety regulator can also prosecute directors or managers of that corporate body where the offence has been committed by somebody else, but with their consent, or if that director or manager is attributable to the neglect as well. And the aim of this is to ensure that everyone who is at fault for breaching the regulation is taken accountability for that breach.
0: When talking about this legislation, obviously, there's, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of consequence on those building these uh, projects. But similarly, one of the benefits for the industry as well, what good does this bring now to the industry?
5: So there's a huge range of benefits for the industry. One of the most prominent benefits would be the improved accountability, where the Act has introduced requirements to ensure that the right individuals and organisations are responsible for building safety. So, for example, the legislation is very focused on naming the individuals who can be held legally accountable for both actions and emissions, and this is in the planning, procurement and operation of buildings so an example of where this is introduced within the act is the requirement for each building to have an accountable person and this accountable person must be able to manage monitor and plan the work another benefit of the industry is the enhanced transparency and access to information across the sector so, for example, there's much more detailed and more easily available information about the building of each phase of the works and upon completion and occupation of the building. And this is introduced by the new golden thread of information. The Building Safety Act has also introduced more clearer and more detailed standards and guidance, which makes it easier for industry professionals to not only be aware of their obligations, but also to know what is expected of them. And this allows for greater competency within the construction industry, particularly with the introduction of the new competency requirements. So under the legislation, the client has responsibility for appointing competent firms, but contractors must also be honest about their ability to carry out the work that they're being appointed to do. And as part of this, contractors must be able to provide evidence that they are capable And probably one of the most obvious benefits is the increased safety standards and reduced risk of fires and structural failures as a result of new fire safety provisions. So not only is the Building Safety Act mitigating any future risk, it's also assessing risks that may currently exist within high-risk buildings. So there are a huge range of benefits, as you can see, for the industry, which will hopefully drive an overarching positive change within the industry.
0: Back to you, Phil. Is there likely to be more legislation in the industry like this coming up over the uh, the, the coming years? The Building Safety Act is really a framework of
1: legislation, and we've mentioned other secondary legislation, but there is there is going to be a slew of secondary legislation coming through in relation to that building on the fire safety aspects and other things that are going to affect the construction industry. So over the next year, we will see quite a bit of that secondary legislation. But then after that, we will start to see case law. There'll be actions going through the court where the courts essentially explain what these laws mean to us and what how we can rely on them. And that, as solicitors, we don't just interpret the legislation, we then have the case law to guide us how courts will deal with things so we can say to our client, if you take this action, you are likely to win, lose, draw, etc. So yes, there'll be more legislation and on the back of all of that case law that we're starting to see coming through.
0: And what is the best way to keep on top of new construction legislation? I guess you're having to keep on top of it as much as everyone else. We've lived and breathed this legislation for
1: the last two or three years. Everywhere we just try and absorb it. So we look at the original legislation, the secondary legislation, any commentaries, and any kind of support we have. I would encourage you to go to the Clarion website where we do have a a number of blogs and webinars and various other items that will explain the Building Safety Act. I always like to say it's never too early to call your solicitor, but in this case, it's never too early to look at your solicitor's website. And also feel free. Free to call us at clarion construction unit if you have any questions there are government websites and also the health and safety executive of which the building safety regulator is part has quite a number of explanatory areas in relation to that that you can look at but as i say clarion we're more than happy to answer any questions we've got quite a number of literature and webinars to look at
0: and and in general the final question really when it comes to construction how can clarion help what's the range of services you're able to offer
1: we're a construction unit which is part of the the real estate unit so the real estate has about 50 colleagues in it we're about a team of 10 we cover contentious and non-contentious issues and we advise anybody who's want to put a contract in place in the construction process be it developers contractors consultants the design team funders anyone involved in that we can assist you in drafting contracts advising on contracts and helping in that kind of process on contentious matters where there are disputes between parties in relation to the construction process about payment or defects or the finished products or not getting finished then we can assist clients um, in dealing with these disputes helping them run them advise on them and how to get the best out of them and also to resolve these disputes without necessarily going to court or any other process but one of the big things we do like to do is what we kind of call adding value to our clients where we provide training and advice and just generally support in the construction process so we'd like to be part of our clients teams rather than just a purchase you get or contact us when something goes wrong please contact us if you'd like us to work with you and support you through your business in the construction process
0: Okay, well, look, uh, thanks for coming in and joining us today on the Purple Chair, Phil, Brandon, and Jenna. Thank you. Thank you. This is The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. I'm Ian Brannan, and every episode we like to explore one of the themes that Clarion excel in. And in this episode, let's chat about ESG, Environmental, Social and Governance, with Christian Helmond, a Clarion partner specialising in energy and projects, and Suzanne Treen, a legal director specialising in employment law and business immigration. Hi, Christian. Hi, Suzanne. Welcome to The Purple Chair. Thank you. Thank you for having us. First of all, then, so for anyone not familiar with ESG, what is
2: it? Can you tell us more about it, Christian? Well, Ian, in uh, simple terms, ESG is made up of uh, three main pillars. E for environmental, S for social, and G for governance. ESG is really a collective term for a business's impact on the environment, on society, and how robust its governance is when it comes to leadership, internal controls, compliance. It's also about transparency in a company's governance that extends to shareholders' rights, board diversity, in part remuneration uh, of executives and how their compensation aligns with a company's sustainability performance, as well as the company's corporate behaviour, such as anti-competitive practices and corruption. In a nutshell, ESG is the company's demonstration that it operates as a responsible business and in a sustainable manner. Uh, depending on the size, the type of the company and the sector it operates in ESG can mean very different things. Certain elements of ESG might apply to some companies, but not to others. And why is it becoming more important for businesses? It's a very competitive marketplace. Increasingly, it's difficult for businesses to stand out. ESG can help a company Getting a competitive advantage over its rivals in the market. In certain procurement processes, companies are increasingly scored on their ESG credentials. It's attracting new customers. Statistically, most customers are now prepared to pay a bit more for a greener or sustainable product than a non-green alternative. It's about securing investment. Funders are more likely to invest in companies that can demonstrate Strong ESG credentials through transparent strategies, internal procedures, controls, and compliance. Investors are also incorporating ESG elements into their investment decision making process.
6: It's a really important factor in how businesses attract and retain talent. Um, So in the UK, you probably know that we're still suffering from a combination of the effects of Brexit, the end of freedom of movement, and then there's a skills shortage as well as a challenging economic climate. So it's made it much more difficult for employers to attract and retain the right people with the right skills on a long-term basis. And a lot of employers have found that simply trying to outbid their competitors isn't going to work. It's not a sustainable solution long-term. So... Actually, for many employees, particularly uh, the Gen Z generation, it's actually really important how businesses operate and impact on the local community and what they do environmentally. Um, It can actually be really critical. And uh, there's a number of surveys that show that actually lots of employees care more about what businesses do and their ethical approach to things rather than how much they pay. So actually, from a people perspective, it's becoming more and more important to help recruit, grow and sustain your business.
2: What then are the benefits
0: of ESG for a business,
2: Christian, first? So uh, there's a business resilience point here. So in terms of cost savings, for example, uh, even small efforts towards sustainability can have quite a big impact and improve the bottom line and return on investment. So, for example, going paperless, making certain energy savings upgrades, recycling reduction of waste, for example, and just generally improve the company's reputation through transparency about the company's impact on the environment, promotion of inclusion and diversity, and also of better financial performance. There's research out there that demonstrates that companies with a robust ESG strategy do financially better in the long term.
6: I would add to that and say that you can attract talent so attracting and retaining a skilled workforce and putting in place a positive culture really has clear benefits it's, it's quite obvious that a happy workforce often leads to a better and more productive and engaged and ultimately more profitable business and there's also uh, depending on your sector and the type of work you do there can be increased buying from customers or consumers so having a good reputation as christian's mentioned as a positive employer gives consumer confidence and means that your brand um, can stand out.
0: Christian, starting with E, you mentioned earlier, but E is for environmental, and this is your area of expertise. Why is it important for businesses to be sustainable? Just heard there from Suzanne, you know, generations now, younger generations are looking at this with importance. It is, of course, important for the planet as well,
2: but putting in place a net zero strategy, for example, tell us about that. So reduction of carbon footprint has become a real focus for a lot of companies, whether they're small or large, national or international. Having a net zero strategy brings a company on track to start thinking about how the company can reduce its carbon emissions, for example, by displacing their use of fossil fuels with lower carbon alternatives. Larger companies are already required to annually report on their emissions under the streamlined energy and carbon reporting requirements. It's mandatory to report the Scope 1 and Scope 2 emissions. Those are the more direct emissions. Uh, it's not yet mandatory to report on Scope 3 emissions. Those are the more indirect or supply chain emissions. But a lot of companies are already starting uh, to do this voluntarily. Recently, the EU Corporate Sustainability uh, Reporting Directive has come in, and that's expanded the non-financial Reporting requirements. And even though it is a EU directive, it also applies to non EU companies such as UK companies. It's very important uh, to remember that where companies make statements about their green and sustainability credentials, if they talk the talk, they really need to be able to walk the walk. And a lot of companies have already been caught out in greenwashing. So claims that a product, service, or business is net zero or carbon neutral is potentially misleading unless additional information is included that explains to consumers how such a claim is made and also what it is based on. And having robust documentary evidence calculated in accordance with recognized scientific frameworks should always be available to underpin such claims that a consumer is not misled. Obviously, you mentioned there
0: about um, larger businesses are already working on this because they have to. But how can any business, all businesses, uh, look to integrate environmental principles
2: into their organization? So once a business has identified how it can improve on ESG uh, and has put in place an ESG strategy and compliance regime, there are lots of ways to integrate the E uh, into companies. So company internal, um, these are, what I would call the easy wins, for example, encourage energy reduction, energy efficient lighting, for example, reduce waste streams, discourage the use of single plastics, have a paperless office. Uh, Rather than disposing your old office furniture, give it to companies that upcycle it. Uh, At Clarion, for example, we take home coffee grinds and people use it for gardening. It's really getting your employees behind you and get them involved in sustainable activities and lifestyle. They can get involved in tree planting days, for example, or that the company offers salary sacrifice schemes for bikes, that's your cycle to work schemes, or electric vehicles could offer IEV charge points for both employees and your customers. A company can speak to their pension providers, ask them to invest in more ethical funds, and into sustainable projects. Companies can use more sustainable suppliers of office equipment, service providers, and also procure green energy from suppliers Are even better install renewable energy generation, such as solar panels. So really, and there are lots of things that companies can do to implement the E in the ESG.
0: Okay, that's the E of the ESG. Let's move to the S. And to you, Suzanne, that's not what it stands for. (laughs) Uh, Social is what it stands for. And how does a business integrate social principles or the S in ESG into their organisation?
6: Well, I think a really good starting point is to actually speak to your employees. So from the people perspective and ask them what they want. So employee engagement surveys are a really good way of doing that. Employees don't always want what you think they want. So talking to them is a good start and understanding what's important to them. You can look at setting up an ESG group if you don't have one already and assign resources to that group and specific targets if that ties in with the, with the resources that the business has. There are lots and lots of additions that you can you can give your um, employees to help them and to to help the business be a better place so just using our own example at clarion we as christian's mentioned we have volunteering days that can be linked to specific projects so we have lots of people that have been planting trees and building dry stone walls on our two paid volunteer days we have mentoring programs linking up different employees within the business to make sure experience is shared across the business putting in place apprenticeships so you youth the skills um, and the community around you. A lot of employers have engaged with local colleges and communities to recruit staff with the skills they need and use apprenticeship programs to encourage a wider and more diverse population to join their workforces. We again we support local schools and help to promote different types of skills within them and Emma's been talking about that to you earlier. We have a big emphasis on employee engagement and well-being so we have a number of initiatives within our business to help this. We use the free flu vaccination, regular social events, committees that represent all employees within the business. So we have a being green group being parents a group that supports people who have children to look after we also have diversity and inclusion training and blogs to improve awareness of social issues so different cultures and religions and blogs about life experiences such as grief we also have pride events including transgender awareness week and highlighting particular disabilities so mnd we also support with various uh, charitable people doing the run the marathon so taking it all together it does sound like a big shopping list of, you know, you have to do everything all at once. That's not what we're saying. But I think looking at your initiatives and finding ways to get people engaged in the business can really, really help to create a strategy and make your business a really good place to work.
0: Clarion clearly have a, a lot of experience with, with this area of, uh, of ESG. How can Clarion help businesses with integration of, of ESG for themselves?
2: So there are various ways how we can help with, um, with ESG. Um, one is putting in place robust contractual arrangements to underpin energy and emissions reduction and energy efficiency projects, whether those projects are financed on or off balance sheet. We can help with putting in place strategies, draft policies such as anti-bribery, modern slavery and human trafficking. Increasingly, we see ESG clauses being included in contractual documentation, whether that's in banking and finance, real estate or construction. And we tend to advise our clients on the drafting, negotiation, interpretation, and also the implication of these new ESG clauses. And then I mentioned earlier the greenwashing aspect. We advise a lot of our clients on the use of the language in relation to ESG when it comes to their green and sustainability claims and also their advertising so they don't fall into the greenwashing trap.
6: We can really support you. From the whole life cycle of the employment relationship, really put you with your employee initiatives, support you with training, get your business to understand the quality, diversity and inclusion initiatives and really bringing that home, helping with coming up with ideas and generally helping your business to to look at their benefits and look at the workplace as a whole and support the ambitions you might have for your business.
0: It's been great chatting to you on The Purple Chair today. If uh, people listening to this want to get more help and advice regarding ESG via Clarion, how do they go about it?
6: Um, just come to our website and you can look up Christian or myself or contact anybody on the website, any of the lawyers there in the specialist areas. would be very, very happy to help you. OK,
0: well, thanks for joining us, uh, Suzanne and Christian. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Purple Chair, a podcast from Clarion Solicitors. And please don't forget to hit subscribe and rate it as well. To find out more about how Clarion could help you or your business, head to clarionsolicitors.com. Until next time, from me, Ian Brannan, and my guests, Christian, Suzanne, Phil, Brandon, Jenna, and Emma, goodbye.